Today, in our message through the sermon, we're going to continue our series on Baptist DNA. What makes this a Baptist church and why that's important? And today, we're going to tackle and wrestle with the most challenging um, topic, the most controversial, divisive topic in the series. And that's the separation of church and state, or religious liberty. Um, it's, it's complicated not only because it's a Baptist principle that began about 400 years ago in England as Baptist roots begin to evolve and form, but it's also tied to the First Amendment of our Constitution. Um, the First Amendment, if you need a reminder like me, hopefully it will pop up on the screen. There we go. Um, I underline the, the parts that relate to religious liberty. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So, so a twofold intention there. No establishment or forcing of religion and providing for the free exercise, the free practice of religion by us as individuals. Of course, the thing that, that's the, one of the things that's made that complicated is um, over the decades, of course, things come before the federal Supreme Court. And they make decisions, interpretations, and, and the way they rule on certain cases um, impacts how this plays out in the real world. And we're in one of those stages right now. I, I was on a work trip this week, and I can't tell you how many times I changed the radio channel or in my hotel room I flipped on the TV scanning channels, and this topic came up. That the... The, the, the fights that are going on. But this is a principle in Baptist life that has been significant and important over the years. Um, I'm, I'm going to speak with you about my own journey with this. Um, this isn't coming from the Bible at this point. This is coming from me. And, but I think it's important maybe to help you understand where I'm coming from on religious liberty. Um, I grew up in, in going to a public school, small public school. I vaguely remember every day before lunch, we would line up in our classroom and someone would say a prayer. And that's just the way it was. Never thought about it. As I got older, I remember kind of realizing, hmm, how would it have been if someone with a different faith perspective than I did would have led that prayer? I'm sure there would have been a lot of controversy in my small town if that would have happened. But everybody looked the same, pretty much thought the same, worshipped the same, it felt like. Move on to college. My eyes were opened with 30,000 other students on campus. And not everyone looks like me. Not everyone worships like I do. Not everyone has the same political stance I do. And, and for a kid that was raised in a Baptist church who um, part of that upbringing was the importance of evangelism and sharing my faith with other people and trying to win people to Jesus, I was, I was, I was faced with the... the the struggle of, okay, Todd, where's the line between being a witness and sharing my faith and, and honestly telling about what Jesus has done in my life and pushing that on people or forcing that on other people? And that, that was a, that's been a hard thing for me. I didn't know how to, how to deal with that. A few years later, I went to a Baptist seminary, and this is what really drove home the importance of religious liberty to me. I was in a church history class, and we were talking about the early centuries of the church, back when, when um, the Roman Empire ruled everything. And things changed about the year 312. 
That was the year that, that Constantine the Great, the, the ruler of the world at that time, the ruler of the Roman Empire, became a Christian. Up until that time, the church was under the thumb of the government. But in 312, things began to change, and it changed history for the church. Because all of a sudden, the church began not only to find benefits from the government, to be, but be favored by the government. And the one thing in particular I remember learning about Constantine was there were times um, in his, under his rule that his armies would go and, and conquer other armies. And as his soldiers would hold the defeated soldiers literally by sword point, he would give the, the conquered people a choice. You can either be baptized in the Christian church and be allowed to live, or you can reject Christianity, reject baptism, and, and die right here and there. And that is an extreme example, but for me, that drilled home the importance that whenever faith and government, church and state get in bed with each other, it's very, very dangerous. Whenever something is forced on someone else in that way, um, it, it, and here's the bigger picture for me, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with, with my theology about how God relates to us and how God has put this world in motion. God is a God of freedom. If we go back to the story of Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Bible, God created people, gave them freedom to obey or disobey. We know how that story played out. Today, God gives us the same freedom. Obey, disobey, show up at church, don't show up at church, be involved in in serving your community or not. God provides us with that freedom. And that, for me, individually, as Todd Pridemore, that, that's a key to my faith and my theology, and that plays directly in to this Baptist principle of religious liberty. But thankfully, there's much more than just my words that you get to hear this morning. Um, we'll get, look at a couple of passages of Scripture. The first one we're going to look at is Romans chapter 13, and I have to preface this. this again, this is such a complicated subject. This passage has been used to justify different sides of the same debate over the years. Um, During revolutionary times, it was used to say the colonies should stay true to the King of England. But it was used by revolutionists to say, no, we should revolt. We should stand up for what's right. In times of slavery, same thing. It justified slavery for some people. It it was used by abolitionists to say, no, slavery is wrong. So you'll get a sense of this passage that Maybe if you try hard enough, you can justify whatever you want out of it. But this is what it said. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good, good conduct, but to bad. Do you, wish you have, do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's agent for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the agent of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of the wrath, 
but also because of the conscience. For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's agents, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. In a nutshell, it feels like Paul is is saying in very general terms, God has put government in place, respect the government, obey the government, go along with it. Um, We all probably in this room can argue, uh, yeah, I can go along with that, or no. If if there's disagreements I have with the government, I don't feel like that's the way to go. Um, I'm thankful I came across a commentator who talked about this passage this week, and he pointed out a very important fact that I, th- I think helps, helps me with this. This was most likely written by Paul around 55 or 56 AD in, in the mid-first century. And that's significant because we have to remember in scriptures written at a certain time in a certain circumstance for a certain group of people. And in that time for the church, even though the Roman government was in place and the church was under the government's thumb, it wasn't a time of intense persecution. It was like the government had kind of stepped back. Okay, we're not going to go hunt and kill Christians right now. We're not going to throw them to the lions. The church was in this few years of being able to have just maybe a little bit of autonomy, a little bit of freedom. And if we take that and apply it to these words from Paul, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. Okay, be content. We've got, it, we've got it pretty good right now. The government isn't out to kill us, literally. Don't rock the boat. Keep your head down. Live out your faith. Be submissive to the government, because it could be a lot worse. So that's one passage people point to often when we talk about church-state relations. Uh, you know, again, it can be interpreted a lot of different ways. I'm very thankful um, Jesus had some things to say about this, and we're going to look there next. Matthew chapter 22, and is so often in, in Jesus' life, he's, he's, the Pharisees are trying to pin him against the wall, trying to trap him, put him in a corner, and that's what takes place, Matthew 22, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to trap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, We know that you are sincere and teach you the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard the people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Jesus seems to acknowledge this this tension that exists, the same tension we live with today. There's a government in place, The government demands things of us, in this specific story, taxes. But how do we live as Christians in that tension? 
Give to Caesars what is Caesars and to God what is God's. So I thought about this week, really made me wonder, okay, in my life, what is God's? What is God's? A couple of other verses came to mind. Um, I've, I've heard some people say that they feel like the entire Christian faith is encapsulated in these verses. One is Micah 6, verse 8. Say, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Talks about our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. That, that's God's. And then back to Matthew 22, later on in this passage that we just read, um, Jesus was put on the spot again, and, and somebody tried to, to pin him down. Okay, Jesus, sum, every, sum up everything for me. As I, as I try to live for God or, or think about God's kingdom, what, what's it all about? What's the most important thing? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything you've got, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first and the second commandment. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, I got flustered at the beginning. I missed something at the beginning of the sermon. I was going to make some funny joke about um, trying to avoid whammies in this sermon. Do any of you guys recognize that? Game show people, press your luck. A whammy in the game show, when you land on one, you lose everything. And my sincere hope this morning in this controversial discussion was not to say something that would hijack God's message, that I would say something out of turn that would be the only thing you think about or something that would just blow up us hearing God's voice today. Um, I'm probably going to land on some whammies right now. I don't, I don't, this, I, I struggled with how to say this. I've lost sleep this week because I don't know if I should say this. This is just what God has spoken to me about this week as I prayed and prepared for this or if this is God's message for all of us. You, you decide. Give God what is God's. I've come to the realization that when I um, have more allegiance to uh, someone in political office or someone that I wanted elected, when I have more allegiance to that person than I do to Jesus, I'm not giving God what is God's. I believe that when it comes to the political party I support, if I care more about that, then I care about serving God and loving God and loving neighbors as myself. I'm not giving God what is God's. I could go on to a few more things, but I challenge you to think about that. As we live in this divided world, within this nation where we're so blessed with freedom, but right now we are struggling with so many things that are pulling us apart, let's give God what is God's. The government demands so much of us, that's, that's what it is. But God does not demand of us to follow him. God invites us into a relationship with him that is unlike anything else. God invites us 
to join him in sharing love with students and families in need. God invites us to be a part of celebrating baptisms with new members of our family that we love and are so thankful for. God invites us, even though we're talking about church and state being separated, God invites us to do things like our youth are going to do this afternoon where they gather with other youth groups in town and go to some public schools and pray for those students and those teachers and staff members. Let us give to God what is God's. Um, This separation separation of church and state, religious liberty issue is such a huge thing. Um, There's some resources if you're interested. Um, You may want to dig more into that. In 20 minutes, of course, just scratch a couple of pieces of that, scratch the surface on some things. But if you only have time for one or two, I encourage you, maybe the top website or the book listed at the bottom may be great places to start. But beyond anything else today, as we think about giving God what is God's, we live in a world where the government demands things of us. We have to pay our taxes. We should follow the speed limit, you know, those kind of things. But let's really focus on giving God what is God's. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that you bless us with within this country, and as your creation. You don't force your way into our lives. You don't force yourself on us, but you give us the freedom to follow you or not. And as we gather together because of our love to Jesus Christ, help us to give you what is yours. Give us wisdom in this complicated world and these complicated times to love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.